Goku from Dragon Ball. Like, they know Jason Denzel from Dragon Ball. But do they really know who you are as a person? Like, what are you into besides, you know, the Wheel of Time? And they might not know Jason Denzel, the author. So I just wanted to, like... That's very sweet. And I appreciate that. And that's exactly (laughs) kind of what I'm going for. And actually, it's funny because, like, I feel like less... There's so many new fans and there's so many people from the show and there's so many new content creators that, and it's a whole, like, there's such a, there's a younger generation too. And for, so a lot of them don't know who I am and obviously that's okay. I'm not Brandon. I'm not Robert Jordan or anything. Right. You know, but it's, um, there was a time where it was a smaller community when the community was much smaller, like in, you know, the nineties and the early two thousands and everything. And, you know, then everybody knew everyone practically. Um, and now, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of content creators who were toddlers when we started Dragon Ball. So, you know, and, um, and so that's, it's, uh, I feel like I'm constantly introducing myself and Dragon Mount every time I go to some event, some wheel of time event or some podcast or something, somebody says, you know, like, Oh, I remember reading that Robert Jordan died on your website, or I remember reading his blog on your website. And then, but once social media hits, you know, roughly early, you know, early 2010s, we'll say it's kind of vague, right. You know, Mm -hmm. then it all completely changes. So we just had Dragon just had our, um, a couple of weeks ago, 24th anniversary. And uh, I know, yeah, I know it's crazy. And (laughs) So, and I was, I was 20 at the time. And so I, when I was in my You're aging 20s, like an Aes Sedai, Jason. <laughs> I, thank you. I appreciate, I don't know. My, my great, this, 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 this beard used to be a lot darker, let me tell you, but it got gray quick. When I do have time to work on things, I no longer have this drive to like work on drag them out and, you know, uh, and to, what I mean by that is, I mean, I'm always working on it, but it's more working with people to create content. It is a lot of hats to wear, but I'm trying to focus in on my own stuff. And I think that that's, you know, slowly come along. And as time goes, you know, as my kids get older, they're they're now uh, in high school and my older son's a senior in high school. So he's on the verge of college. And as they get older and become more independent and, um, you know, settle into their own life paths that inevitably and soon will be out, you know, away from me more. Um, I can settle into, um, you know, doing my own thing more regularly and focusing on that and gradually start to transition perhaps away from my own, um, my day job career into writing more full time. Yeah. And I, I, I look at a lot of other authors who, um, you know, they all have their moments in that too. I, you know, um, you know, Robert Jordan had a career, you know, as a, he was in the military and then he worked for a while as a nuclear engineer and he was doing this. And it, for him, unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, you know, he had a he had a serious accident um, you know, that he um, had some blood clots as a result of it, the, the injury. It was like a leg injury, a knee injury, I think, and it led to um, some uh, complications and blood clots. And so he almost died. And, and it was at that moment, you know, like he was in his thirties and he thought, you know, like I, I need to, you know, find that what I, what I love and being a nuclear engineer as cool as it is, as interesting as it is, it's, it wasn't his thing. And so um, he took a big risk and um, he didn't have children um, at the time or at, at all. And so he, um, you know, uh, told his parents that, you know, and his dad, especially that he was going to go and write full time and his dad, to his credit, um, you can imagine, uh, an old school Southern gentleman and, you know, his yeah. son you know, was in <laughs> yes. a, mili- a military family. And, uh, and then his son coming to him and saying like, I'm going to be a <laughs> fiction writer, yeah. you know, but to his credit, he, he supported him. And he said, you know, you know, if you're going to do it, do it right. And um, I think that's pretty amazing. And I think that, you know, so he had some initial support and I think he lived at home for a while, you know, uh, if I recall correctly. Um, and he was able to get that boost thing and get going. And, you know, off the rest is history, right? The rest is history. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, whereas everyone's path to publication is a little bit different, everyone's path to making that transition, it is a real privilege um, 
you know, to for anyone, for anyone, for a lot of people, it's, it's there's a lot of privilege in having the ability to write full time. Um, you know, books, being an um, author, you know, not everyone's uh, Brandon Sanderson, right? And so, um, and so it can be extremely hard to make a living off of writing books, even if you're a very good writer, even if you, you know, have good sales, it can be really hard to consistently keep yourself, um, you know, going, and especially depending where you live in the world and everything. And so a lot of people who are able to do it, do so with the benefit of having um, a spouse or significant other or having some other kind of um, financial stability that, you know, from other means. Okay. So if you're ready, I'm ready to jump into some of these questions. (laughs) Yeah, please (laughs) let's do it. I know, but feel free to use any and all of that stuff and and weave it on in. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure we'll kind of take some detours anyways, but I guess for the most part, these questions are going to be, some of them are about you, some of them about the wheel of time, some of them about your book. So we're going to kind of weave our way in between some of these and go for it. it. Yeah. Okay. So I think number one is like a a soft question. (laughs) If you were a Wheel of Time character, who would you be? You know, you said this is a soft question, but this this is tricky. No, is it hard? Um, It's always tricky. And what I like about this is that the the question that most typically get get asked is, who's your favorite character? But I think that who would you rather be is there's a slightly different there's a different implication there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, but <laughs> part of me just wants to be like, you know, you know, Bella, where I don't have to have the stress of, you know, or just, just out in the I pasture. Just I don't need to. I don't need to worry about, yeah, or whatever. I don't know, Bella. Maybe not specifically Bella, but I'll find some other happy horse. But um, you know, when I I was younger you know, and starting drag him out, I, I really identified with Rand and, you know, that he was, he was my guy and that's who I really enjoyed. And, um, I could really see myself in him and everything. Um, but you know, these days, um, being my, you know, a, a lot older than Rand is and knowing that the hell that Rand went through, I think that if I were to go in and if I had to possess someone and go through or whatever, I'd probably be Cad Swain. And, because, I love this answer. Tell me more. <laughs> because, because, because there's a sense of, you know, there's a sense of confidence and maturity, um, and there's wisdom there. There's strength there. I mean, there's one power strength, which is always nice yeah. to have, you know. And there's also, but just control the situation. And I think that, um, you know, she's she's that old school leader and. I admire her. I know. I mean, she drives me crazy, you know, in some ways, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I'd rather be her than I'd rather be, you know, a, a lot of other people who get bullied by her. There's also a focus there. Like she's not, she's not distracted by things that matter. Like she's just hyper-focused on I'm here to get this, this kid in random here to get him under control so that the world so that he doesn't screw up this whole job of saving the world. Right. And I like that focus. She's not distracted by family politics. She's not, you know, distracted by uh, a romance. Um, not that romance is bad, but, you know, but she, she's just mm-hmm. doing her thing. There's also something almost <clears throat> unassuming about her where she could mm-hmm. be sitting in the room, maybe doing some embroidery and you wouldn't look twice, but she knows mm-hmm. everything that's going on in that room yes. without looking up. Love that about Cat Yeah, that, that's true. I love the idea. Of, it's something that I try to um, do, despite what we're doing here in this, <laughs> this uh, podcast where I'm chatting so much, but I do tend to want, I strive to be that person who is listening and observing more than just blurting out something. Like I try to be very specific with what I'm saying when I'm, you know, when it's time to say it. Okay. The next question is, what is something you are saving up for? so yeah we uh, we talked about a little about this earlier and um i think that in general what i'm saving up for is um you know the perhaps taking a sabbatical from work eventually and being able to write more full-time for my kids um i've got two boys who are in high school right now and 
Um, so they're on the verge of college and certainly trying to save up for college. But, you know, um, you know, in, in this modern world, you know, uh, not everyone's going to be able to pay for college pure cash right out of their pocket like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, you know, I will support them as best I can. I've been saving for a long time to help out with them. And so I'll do what I can. But by and large, you know, they, um, you know, I will do what I can there. But then beyond that, I'm saving up for um, just having the the ability to maybe take a sabbatical from work, you know, take a year or two off. Um, uh, you know, I'm in the United States right now, but I've thought about maybe going and living abroad, um, you know, six months, year, whatever, um, or traveling a bit more and writing. And so I'm just stashing it away. And uh, one of these days I'd love to be able to, you know, just have a whole year or two to, yeah, um, not have Travel, to work. Travel, have know, a nice uh, view, write some books. Right, have a nice view, write, write some books. And <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll come visit Germany. You know, yeah. and, uh, it, would, it would definitely be on the list of places to go. So I can I can definitely show you a place or two if you ever make it out okay, this way. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. I'm really curious about this one. How many times have you read The Wheel of Time? You know, um, not as many as probably most people think. I honestly don't know the full number. And it's one of those things where like, I've read The Eye of the World and The Great Hunt probably a lot more times than I've read um, the later books. I think I've read the last three books twice, um, once in a beta format, uh, you know, pre-release format where I was one of the beta readers. And then again, after publication, you know, maybe a year or two later after that, you know, I can't remember the last time I read, for instance, The Shadow Rising. It, it, mm -hmm. I'm probably overdue to go back and reread that, you know. Um, but at the same time, I've been immersed in this world daily for yeah. the last 24 years. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's been a big part of my life. And, you know, I couldn't perhaps, you know, give you a full outline of book, the book, the book, but I... If you tell me a scene or a character, I could probably narrow it down pretty quickly like where things are happening and what the yeah. context is and what's going on. I listen to a ton of podcasts and you know, a ton of shows and recaps um, on, you know, the chapter recaps and everything. So I feel like I'm immersed in that world constantly, even if yeah. I haven't sat down straight and just read it. One of my favorite scenes is like when Rand and Min are together at the end of Path of Daggers and Rand is putting um, uh, the, uh, the Ashiman to sleep because he's gone insane and they've got the cup of sleep. And I, I go back every now and then just to read that chapter alone because I just think it's so well done and it's so well written. So I'll go there with like a writer mind in you know, uh, that perspective, trying to see how did Robert Jordan do this? How did he, how did he bring out those feels for me the first mm -hmm. time I read that? You know, and um, what what were his tricks? What was what was the method by which he was doing that? So I do yeah. a lot of that too with the books. I was gonna say there's probably chapters in particular that you find yourself going back to. I mean, for me, it's I think this is maybe a weird one, maybe not a common one, but that Heath Tower part in the prologue of I think second to last book. But it's no, towers, yeah. yeah, it might be Towers, mm -hmm. but it's no big name characters. We have all of these new people pop up and it's the scene where he's, you know, giving his son the sword and telling the him sword, rise yeah, a man yeah. and the tower's about uh -huh. ready to fall apart. But for me, I'm like, oh, that's, I mean, that could be taught in a master class. I don't know any of these characters and I'm going in immediately 100% invested and everything that's happening in their lives within minutes. And it's just like Robert Jordan, mwah, like so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I agree. And you're right. That, that scene that is from towers. And that was one that, um, that was a scene that was like, that was Robert Jordan. That was one of those that he dictated, you know, and then that Brandon, they transcribed it for Brandon and Brandon took it and just had to kind of flesh it out a bit. But mm -hmm. that was, that, that was him. That, that, that was Robert Jordan. And, you know, we we now know there was less detailed plot outline that was left to for the last books that was left to Brandon than than we kind of initially thought. There are plenty of notes, but there was a lot less 
specific scenes written um, but that was one of the scenes that was oh interesting was, i'm sure. so glad i'm so glad i get to know that now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that you. was definitely a robert jordan that was that was absolutely robert jordan so yeah okay all right so this one favorite moment from the wheel of time television show this one was an what uh, was an easy thing for me to think about in that oh my favorite scene was the naive healing scene the you know like a raging sun um I know, I know it's just it, it was it was it was remarkable and um you know uh, I, I wish we had had uh, a little more of of seeing that happen I think we're gonna see that a lot more here in season two and beyond um, you know see naive's power with her hair going wild and everything it was, it was beautiful it was so well done it was set up well executed well it was perfect agreed hard agree okay the next one least favorite moment from the wheel of time television show the first is the um the the parent in faldara you know and when he's in the throne room um and you know i put an asterisk on that because um you know we know that this was a scene that was pretty heavily impacted by covid um, mm -hmm. And I also by the fact that um, uh, Barney Harris didn't return for the filming of those last two episodes. So I don't know for sure, but I get the strong, strong impression that was probably originally meant to be a scene with, with Matt in the throne room and it just didn't. So it was an awkward thing. And also probably I think that the COVID protocols were there. Yeah. So that's, I don't think the actors were allowed to be near each other and to, touch each other so that's why mm -hmm. you had the fade standing there just looking at parents yeah. i think you know i think <laughs> yeah. the fade was afraid to get covid <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what it kind of seemed so it was just it was an awkward scene i i, I give the filmmakers a pass on that you know in, yeah. in the sense of you know it was you know i don't they may not have really had a lot of other options there and so but that was a pretty awkward thing and it it didn't really work well for me. And um, uh, the other scene though, and um, it wasn't that the, the scene was beautifully shot. It was beautifully acted. Um, I don't have any problems with it. It was, and I, I don't know, this makes me not so popular. I don't know, but I really, I, I did not enjoy the, um, the loose there in flashback scene to the age of legends. Okay. Where, okay. And the reason is, I mean, I loved it. The actors are wonderful and everything. In that moment, that these are like humanity is on the verge of annihilation. Like they are, they they are hours away from complete and utter destruction. Right. Like right. they're it, 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 book can anyway. You know the, the sky is on fire. Meteors are dropping. Cities have been bale fired out of existence. Like they are so desperate. They are holding on by yeah. a thread here, and. You know, and that's what drove this decision of these two people, you know, um, Latroposse, I don't know if I said mm -hmm. his name right, um, and Luce Theron having this conversation like, you know. That's why this meeting book, was coming together. Right. Like there and you could I could see them like maybe they weren't like screaming and finger pointing at each other, you know, because they're more I said I like who knows, maybe they were. But but like that the intensity of that conversation, I always kind of imagined to be ratchet up. Like this was a desperate desperate thing this was reckless this was crazy but it was the only shot they had and that was it like mm -hmm. and none of that desperation was there this was a very peaceful thing this was like oh look there's a little baby over here cooing and and they were talking about they were talking about desperate measures but there was no sense of that it was blue skies and cloudy mm -hmm. outside you know and maybe we should have had some of those show wings you know <laughs> crashing and burning up and yeah. everything like that yeah so i don't know i mean mm -hmm. i i i will ride with the filmmakers on their decisions you know and um uh you know even if even if it doesn't pan out how i like it you know i, yeah. I appreciate what they're doing and and everything um you know i and there's probably more clearly there's gonna be more stuff in the age of legends than what these actors we're gonna see. So it probably plays into a bigger thing. And maybe that intensity will I know so excited and, for know, something like that. So excited. I know. <laughs> and I, I think that that intensity will show up at some point, but I, I just kind of wish we had seen it right away. So yeah, I think just from a I mean visual aspect, I got so caught up in looking at like 
ooh, like, look at the interior of this place, like how beautiful, how lovely it looks. And then, you know, the, the <laughs> right. zoom out the window and you're like, oh, oh, this is happening. Yeah. It's happening. And but it, 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 it took me a minute to, uh, or a minute, it took me, you know, um, I, I, I recognized it, but it didn't quite click with me initially that that outside view matches up perfectly with yes. in episode one, yes. that, you know, the ruined towers of the two years yes. or whatever. So I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, that was well we, done. We got to talk to the production designer a little bit about some of these, oh, you know, buildings and whatnot. And it's just when I saw that the first time, I didn't recognize that they were actually buildings. And then, you know, on the rewatch, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, 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 look what they've done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of jaw dropping. But okay. Oh, this I like this one. Your favorite song. I know. Now you're throwing the. And these are the hardball <laughs> questions. Like, how do I narrow it down? How do you I'm pick? Like, I, I know. I'm like, so. Oh, um, I'd have to look at my phone to like scroll through my phone to see like what I've been listening to. But I, I do a lot of um, what I'm writing. I do a lot of like, you know, instrumental music in the background, and you yeah. know, like you can go on YouTube and get like you know these videos are like you know nine hours yes. of epic fantasy music i listen to that when i'm writing um and uh lightning crashes by live um i'm a romantic so i've got stuck on you lionel richie okay um <laughs> goodbye yellow goodbye yellow brick road um oh, i've got okay. some journey on there um yeah so you know these are i'm kind of yeah you know i like those I like the big sound, like the the big feels, the the, yeah. the big emotions. So you know, yeah. Um, a lot of these, you know, the this music, the feels. This is what this is where my stories and my characters are born from. I mean, um, the mystic books uh, in particular are really, especially the first book, um, are very musically themed and the main mm -hmm. character gets her her magical strength from singing and finding you know and. And music, and that was in large part a. Um, I would listen to so much music as we all do, right? And just yeah. like, from music for me and driving around in the car and everything, what that does for me is that that creates um, an environment in which these stories bubble up and these characters bubble up. And okay, so what's your lock screen on your phone? Oh, my lock screen is, uh, I've got a couple of uh, today's. Um, so today is my girlfriend's birthday. And, but I've had this one up of, um, I'll share it with you on the camera here. Can you see that? Okay. So my yeah. girlfriend giving me the, the look, you know, it cracks me up every time I get it, it, it when I open it up and I'm like, what did I do now? <laughs> but, oh, that's good. Time, yeah. Okay, so what are the names of your books for anyone listening so they know what to look for? Yeah, yeah. So um, I have uh, three books out, the, mm -hmm. the, um, all in the same the same series, the Mystic Trilogy. The first book is called Mystic, and the second book is called Mystic Dragon, and then the third book that's coming out, you know, um, October eleventh is the conclusion, and that's Mystic Skies. Yeah, and so th this is um, you know, the it's been a while to get all three of them out. The first one was published in 2015. So, you know, the three books, you know, that the seven year journey to get them out. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of life that went into a lot of life events that I went through and everything um, writing this series. And a lot of that I feel like is on the page. Yeah. Not literally, but you know, the, the, all the emotion and everything that I went through and, um, how does it feel uh, you know, like having it come to a conclusion? I mean, is it? It, it, it feels wonderful. And uh, yeah. I really had, you know, I mean, the, the book's coming out now in October. But for me, it felt like it was back in January, you know, almost a year ago, where mm -hmm. I was done with it. And that's when I was handing in my final notes. And that's when I was wrapping up the story. And um, uh, I remember getting real emotional just um, reading the epilogue to the series, you know, the final scenes here. And I had waited so long to to write those, and I I wrote them, and it was this big emotional thing for me to write them at the time. But even doing the final pass on, like I know what happens, like there's no more. It pretty much is just making sure at that point I'm passing through it to make sure that there aren't any other typos or anything glaringly, anything else that I missed. Right, it's the last polish, and 
I got all emotional. Like I, I got caught up on it and, you know, I lumped my throat and choking up and, and it's, and part of it is because, I mean, they say you should write what you love, you know, write the book that you mm-hmm. wish someone else had written. And I think it was partner cool. You know, I clearly I'm biased. And so I I'm caught up in that aspect of like, this is so great. I'm, I'm so glad that I feel like I, I arrived where I wanted it to be. And I hope other people enjoy that. And, you know, I, I hope that, you know, other readers feel the same way, but for me, I was, it was great to be there, but also, you know, it was, I mean, it was a, you know, from writing my first, you know, chapters to, to today, more or less is the nine year journey, um, you know, from first initial jotting down the ideas to its third book being published. That's, it's a long time and a lot of life and it's a lot that went into these. And so it felt pretty amazing to have it all done and to know that, you know, that this story is complete um, and, you know, there's no book four. I don't anticipate there would any be any more in this world. Um, and maybe I left things a little bit yeah. open. We'll see. We'll see. But, you know, it's not my intent right now. And um, I always so, yeah, think so that's nice in- when like, you know, there is a conclusion, you know, like, tie it up, put a bow on it. Like there's a little bit left there to maybe think about and dream about afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like maybe things could have gone this way or that way, but I love a conclusion, yeah. you know, love a good conclusion. Yeah. Um, This next one, I'm very curious about this one. So a favorite book of yours, that's not the wheel of time. So um, I'm a big fan of, um, of Dune, um, a Wizard of Earthsea. Um, these are uh, Wizard of Earthsea and, and the sequel, the, the Tombs of uh, Atuan, I think it's pronounced A T U A N, Atuan. Okay. Um, so I really enjoyed those books. Um, Dune, um, the first one, uh, you know, is a great book. I try to read it, you know, every couple of years or listen to it on audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to it in advance in the movie that just came out, and it's still fantastic how'd you like um, the movie i thought it was a great half a movie <laughs> like yeah. it's half a story it just <laughs> yeah. kind of and it, it is what it is and, and i mean it was fantastic i mean i think it's a superb adaptation of what they had going of the book um but you know it just the most interesting part of that book is in the second half and true you know, they're truth. filming that right now so <laughs> so i i i enjoyed it i i loved it and i um I really look forward to watching that one and the second part back to back someday and being like, okay, there's Dune, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's neat. And you can see, you know, the um, Robert Jordan was inspired by Dunes and we see it of course with the Aiel and the Fremen and Rand and Moadib. And, but it's also equally fascinating to me that, you know, Frank Herbert was inspired by, um, you know, like Lawrence of Arabia and, you know, the idea of going out in the, desert and all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and so you know seeing that the evolution of this story idea um, is interesting to me you see a lot of evolution in fantasy after the wheel of time because i know like there have been series that i've read where i'm like oh like this is clearly like clearly a nod to the wheel of time i mean do you get that a lot Oh you yeah, find that? You definitely. You see, you see a lot, and I see it a lot too in like video games, where you know, there's so many video games that have references to, uh, you know, um, I don't know, Wolf Brother like characters or whatever it is. But you see, you see a lot of it in a lot of places, and, and that's okay. You know, I think, yeah, um, uh, I, I'm the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson is and Mistborn. Those are, and he straight up talks about this. You know, these are you know, uh, an evolution on top of the wheel of time. And I think, you know, just as, you know, um, you know, Robert Jordan intentionally, you know, started the wheel of time in a sleepy little village with some dark riders chasing a bunch yeah. of country bumpkins. And mm-hmm. it's, he intentionally started it, you know, feeling like Lord of the Rings um, and, and then went off into a new place. And then now other, pl- other people are responding to that. I think Brandon was, I really like, he said that it was, it was his response to the wheel of time and like a continuing the conversation. And I, I like mm-hmm. that, you know, it's a, it does feel like that. Um, and, you know, Tolkien, um, you know, his ideas were drawn from, 
you know, old legend, you know, old legends in Europe. And, um, you know, there's you know, the, the story of the ring. Like there literally are stories of magical rings and everything that it, you know, where the themes were about, you know, power and corruption. And so, you know, the wheel of time turns. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yes. That is so true. That's so true. Okay. This one, if you could describe your book in three words or your book series in three words, what would they be? Mm. This is kind of hard, I think. It is. And I'm, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a tricky one. It's always, I think every author hates having to summarize their books. And it's like, I, where you could even wrote, go with a feeling. I, I three giant, <laughs> right? It's like I, I three giant books. Like th- that's what I have to say about. It. No, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got. I think I've got two answers here for you. Uh, the first one is that I do have. I do sometimes describe it. Um, the way that the story is structured is apprentice, mystic, and master. And what I mean by that is that the books okay. are structured in that way. That the is that it. The main character, Pamela. This story, the series, is the, is the story of her life, and it and it occurs over the course of decades. It's not just, you know, in the first book she's sixteen years old, but you know, the rest of the series is that you know she ages throughout it. And so, in the first one, you know, she's attempting to become an apprentice to a mystic who's living mm-hmm. out in the woods. And then, you know, the the second book it largely kind of focuses on her journeyman years, and then our third one is that. You know, it's um, you know, much later in her life, and it's a much you know, she's in a a place of of mastery. Not not it's not quite that simple, but it's um, you know, I wanted to look at it from that angle. So I do tell people that you know, in John, the series focuses on her life as you know, as an apprentice and a, mm-hmm. as a mystic, and then as a master. Um, but if I had three other words, um, I had a little more the verb in it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I think I, I think I describe it as magic intersecting society. Um, and what I mean by that is um, that this is a, a story of Pamela in the context of political, a time of political upheaval in, in her, in her land, in this Island of moth that she lives on. And she's born as a commoner and the commoners are forbidden from um, using magic, which in this world, um, there's a, a magical force, like the force in Star Wars, yeah, called yeah. the mist. And you know, all magic in life arises from the mist. And she um, is forbidden from using the mist. Commoners are not allowed to do it. They're not trained in it. They're, it's something that's reserved only for the nobility. And so she defies these laws and traditions and to go and learn about this and to um it's something that she feels in her heart it's something that she the, the mist is awakened by emotion it's awakened by um it's or it's unveiled is how i like yeah. to phrase it in the books um through um through emotional connection that's your initial thing and so she she feels this in her heart she it's a song that she can hear but and she wants to sing with it so to speak mm-hmm. and she's being told shut up shut up shut up you know and so this is her story of saying, screw that, I'm going to sing, you know, and, <laughs> um, and sometimes, you know, with, you know, uh, consequence and, um, and, you know, all the events that happened that <laughs> caused trouble and that she has to make up. Yeah. For time. I really like how you said it kind of goes from like apprentice to like mastery. I mm-hmm. mean, it almost feels like three three acts, you know, of a story or a play or something like that. And I think that's really interesting. Like, I believe that that gives people a really good idea of kind of like what to expect in terms of like how the story flows. And I always tend to love like a good, like three story act, like part one, part two, part three, like it's just kind of, it's, I don't want to call it simple, but maybe elegant is the better word. But I like yeah, that. Thank you. I, <laughs> yeah, it's it. It was. Um, you know, it is a. It's a traditional uh, and you know pretty classical mm-hmm. um, story structure. Of course, you know three act structure, and it is. You know, each of the three books has a three act in it, but they themselves clearly are act one, act two, act three yeah. of her life. 
Um, you know, but a lot of time passes, you know, this is a generational saga. And so there's a lot that happens in the gaps in between. Yeah. Okay. So this one, I guess it might be more of a two-parter, but the question is the most beautiful place that you've ever seen, like been in person. And I also wanted to ask if there's any of that maybe put into the books, any inspiration there? Uh, yes, for sure. So um, in terms of beautiful places I've been, um, on one hand, I've compared to some people, I haven't traveled very, very widely. However, you know, I, I've been to, uh, I, you know, I live in California. Um, and California is a pretty big, pretty beautiful state. Um, Diverse a, in terms of it, it's a very, land. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Like, you know, I live um, people ask me like, you know, what, do you like Sacramento? I live in Sacramento, which is the northern part of the state. And, um, and I say, well, the best thing about Sacramento is that it's 90 minutes from the beach. It's 90 minutes from the mountains, it's 90 minutes from Silicon Valley. <laughs> it's 90 minutes from every yeah. 90 minutes from Tahoe, you know, and it, it's, it's 90 minutes from everywhere. And in and of itself, there's not a lot here. I mean, it's, you know, I live in the suburbs and it's a great place to raise my kids. Um, but, you know, I'm 90 minutes away from world-class hiking, mm -hmm. world-class beach and everything else, you know? So I, yeah. I love that. Uh, so it's easy to get places. Um, you know, other places in California, the, you know, just I um, driving along Highway 1, the Pacific Coast Highway, mm -hmm. is there's few roads that, that at least that I've seen that are as beautiful. I mean, it's very winding and you got the ocean on one side of you and hopefully you don't fall off the cliffs, but you're right there. It's, yeah. it's gorgeous. I've always um, wanted to see Big Sur go to the Henry Miller oh, yeah. Museum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I've been there and it, it, it is beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but in terms of um, the books, I, I mean, there have been other places I've been to. I've been to one of my favorite cities, um, probably, probably my favorite city that I've been to outside of the U S is Edinburgh and Scotland. Um, mm -hmm. what an amazing place. I, I love that. All the cobbled streets and the hills and the castle, of course, and all the cool things there. Um, when I was in Ireland, um, I knew that the Island of Moth, that's the location, um, the primary location of the mystic books, um, was, inspired by ireland and so i took a trip to ireland at one point and um and visited a lot of the sites and i had discovered there so one of the main locations in the books is uh, is keltapar and keltapar is where the high mystic you know the most powerful mad wizard sorceress of the, of the <laughs> land lives in on this island and it's this big it's in the middle of a of this mystical forest and uh, and it's in a big clearing and there's grass and you know imagine like a big open meadow and in the middle of the meadow is this this tall tower surrounded by i like to describe it as a moat of flowers you know just all these flowers okay. surrounding it and um, there's other little cabins and such linger about and there's a place in ireland that i found after i wrote this book that exists that looks just like that and i went and visited there and i love it it's the tower of glendalow and um uh, it's just outside, just south of Dublin. I think it's just south of Dublin. Okay. And Glendalow. So Is that right? Yeah. The, okay. Uh-huh. Yep. If you Google it, the, if you Google the Tower of Glendalow, and you'll get an idea of, of, of Kelpar. And it's what it is, is that it's this, it was this tower that was, um, I think it was made by some monks, if I recall. It's been a while since I read about the history. Um, but it's this big open, it's this big open, uh, you know, clearing. It's got this giant tower and some other buildings and maybe like a little graveyard and whatnot nearby. And, um, uh, and it just, it kind of accidentally um, had the same vibe as uh, a lot of Keltapar. And I, so I went there and I got some pictures of me staying in front of the tower, which I thought was kind of cool. That's but, awesome. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, but, but in general, the, you know, the, um, there's another place in the second book. Um, there's a, uh, in the second book, Mystic Dragon, there's a location um, called that I call it the Thornwood, or one of the characters calls it the Thornwood, and it's this big, it's in a valley, and there's all these like thorn bushes, like throughout, like mm -hmm. just really dense throughout the whole valley, and um, and that was something that I actually found when I was in a, on that trip in Ireland. I found this little valley, 
and went hiking there and it's like saw these thorn bushes and i was like i'm like there's a path there i'm like i'm gonna try this i'm trying to get scratched up and so i did i didn't really get scratched up but i went through it was kind of cool i got like overhead you know all these uh bushes were sounds like the blight (laughs) it kind of was right and you know there's like branches reaching out i had a backpack on so i was hiking and grabbing my backpack up uh, this is so cool. So I made that into like a location into the second book. Um, some cool spooky stuff that went down there. Love that. Love a good spooky moment. A good spooky mm-hmm. place. Um, lost. I lost my place now. Oh, okay. I really like this one. What weapon would you wield in an apocalyptic scenario? <laughs> <laughs> I love this one. I, I love this question. Um, so I, I'm a martial artist. I, I study uh, like an old school form of kung fu, and I, I just um, I just got my 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 black sash uh, um, a month or two ago now. At this point, so that was a, a big thank you. That was a, that was a big mile. It was a big fun milestone for me, and it's a it it took a lot of years to get there because it's a very complex system with a lot of material, but. Um, so I'm familiar with working with a lot of martial arts weapons at this point. And um, although I wouldn't say that it's um, my favorite one to use per se, but I find that I, I'm good at it and mm-hmm. it works well because I'm very tall. I got really long arms. And mm-hmm. so it works well is the spear. And I feel like that like with the spear, I can really reach that zombie. <laughs> Like, seriously, if I stretch it and I've got a spear, like, I can hit a a zombie, you know, 12 feet away from me, you know, without just stab it from 12 feet away. I don't have to get near it. I can do a distance. I feel like I can, it's, it's simple enough at the end of the day, one end, I just club them and the other hand I'm poking them. Efficient. I can can efficiently (laughs) get through a lot of zombies with that. There's a lot of other cooler weapons that are fun, but I, I wouldn't. I don't know. I wouldn't go in with like a, you know. Uh, yeah, but like, what are you going to do with nunchucks or something? Like, right. you don't want to get up close. Some, right, exactly. <laughs> it's just there's some things that are cool. You know, the weapons that are like, you know, the ball and chains or the fancy double swords or the hook swords and things yeah. like that. At the end of the day, just, just give me a stick with a pointy <laughs> end and I'll take care of business. That, that's what I like to think. <laughs> Quote of the episode at the end of the day, just give me a stick. <laughs> just give me a stick. Yeah. With a pointy stick. <laughs> yes, yes. So if you were a superhero, which one of your characters would be your sidekick? I think I would definitely choose one of the secondary characters, um, borderline like tertiary characters, mm-hmm. uh, a character named Vlenar. Vlenar is a lizard-like humanoid character. In, in the books, there's these race, there's these race of a race of people called um, the Laghearts. And they're, you know, they they walk upright, but they look like, imagine like, you know, a, a human-sized lizard that walks on a tiny legs mm-hmm. with a long tail. And and Vlenar's a ranger. He um, you know, he uh, in the first book, um, he is you know, he's kind of like a, a a guardian and a soldier and kind of and a protector. He he guards um, and protects Keltapar from outside trouble. And but he's also very in tune with the with the environment and he knows things. And he doesn't talk very much. He's you know one of these you know uh, you know silent types. And mm-hmm. um, I think I'd have him be my my sidekick because he's dependable. People who read the books love him. He's he he's. I wanted him to be that character that that you loved and and um, someone that uh, you know. Even though he doesn't talk a lot, he, he you just want to give him a big hug and you know. And that's how Pamela, the main character, who is a mm-hmm. she wears her heart in the sleeve. She want even in the first book. There's this moment where she like she's really happy about something. She goes to hug him, and he just kind of gives her this look, and she's like, "Ah," you know. And that's kind of how I feel about writing Glenar is that you know I want to hug him. I love him so much, but he's not the huggy type. So, but yeah, he'd be my that. sidekick. I love that that there's not that there's humanoid characters who are not human, right? Like yeah, they, yeah, he's a different uh-huh. race. And, Yep, exactly. And they, um, you know, he's, Leonard's the only one that we really see in the first book. Um, in the second book, we see more um, Leichhardt's. And then in the third book that's now out, they, they play a significant role, you know, a, a huge role. They're a big part of the story. 
Very cool. Okay, this next one we've got. <laughs> okay, if you had to oh sell your soul to Shaitan, <laughs> what would you ask for in exchange? <laughs> A classic Asmodian <laughs> scenario, I guess. Oh man, um, I think I one of two things. I'm gonna give two answers. I'd want two things. If I'm selling my soul, I've got a good soul, Shaitan. So you're you have to give me two things here. <laughs> I'd want the ability to safely travel through the cosmos like be able to just like i think it would be so cool to like go and like stand look on at venus jupiter. and not burn up stand, <laughs> right exactly and or, or stare at jupiter from the right distance and just bask in its awesomeness and not get you know destroyed by radiation and right. things like that or to you know go to other see what other planets look look at other stars get as would I be able to see what a black hole looked like you know, without getting sucked in and destroyed or whatever? You know, like all these okay. things. I think travel the cosmos would be the first thing. And then the second thing is I think I'd want, I'd want the time travel thing, but not to be able to change things. I mean, that'd be cool, but, you know, that just becomes weird. You know, I'd be yeah. fire myself some I think I'd want to go. <laughs> yeah, that just gets too messy, man. I, you know, step on the wrong leaf and my great 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 grandmother never gets born or whatever you know so, classic back um, to the future problem yes exactly <laughs> so i think i'd want to be able to time travel and observe like i think i'd want yeah. to go back like if i could just be an invisible fly on the wall for any moment in time you know go back and you know, see these great moments in history or whatever and i think i would do that to have a better understanding of things you know and just to to see like oh so that's how that really went down mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a little yeah. bit different than what we were taught you know i think that'd be really neat two very very good answers in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> okay oh this one okay what's one thing that annoys you the most people not picking up after their dog on their dog walks <laughs> there you go. this is a really good answer we just we just got a foster uh we fostered a dog for a while and kept him and mm -hmm. man that is just <sighs> when people don't what kind of dog um He's a shepherd mix. He kind of looks like a mix between like a Cachon and like a Belgian shepherd, maybe. I can mm -hmm. show you a picture later. But when people don't pick up after their dog, you know, your dog wants to sniff it and it's just. Yeah, I cool. agree. It annoys me. I just adopted a, a German shepherd as well, like a, a, like from our local shelter. Pretty I think sure I saw him I in the background. <laughs> Oh, did he, yeah, he's been walking around. He's he's bored here. So, okay. If you had wolf brother abilities with any animal that was not a wolf, which animal would you choose? I'd probably choose a a bird of some kind, like a like a falcon. Like I think I'd want like those heightened that heightened uh, eyesight. Um, mm -hmm. I think that'd be kind of cool. Um, I think it'd be cool. I like flying, you know, and I, I think that would be a neat thing to have. Um, okay. This one, we're going back to the book now. So one of yeah. your biggest challenges writing your books. Uh, w without a doubt, it's um, finding the time to write them. I've tried to take a long lunch break, you know, on slow days at work and, you know, see if I can get 90 minutes in now and then. Um, and I've also tried the go on a vacation for a week and block out everything else and just write, you know, for a week. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I can, I um, I take off time, you know, and take a long weekend or um, or a lot of times just writing in the margins on weekends and, you know, um, long lunch breaks and whenever I can just kind of sneak in a little bit. But um, the most like for Mystic Skies, the book that's coming out now, um, I did a thing where I took a week off. I rented a cabin out up in the mountains. My son and I went up there and, um, you know, we just kind of hung out and I found myself a wonderful little routine of, you know, get up, you know, take my time, have some breakfast, get the writing, write till lunch, 
have lunch, take a nap, get back to writing till dinner, and then write in the evening. And I did that all week, and I wrote like like I don't know a third of the book or something. And I'm like, I just need to do that. Like, it was probably yeah, it was almost a third of the book, you know, that I, that I wrote on that in that one week alone, just the raw first draft, mm-hmm. you know, and. And I'm thinking like, wow, if I had just taken three weeks off, I could have done this whole book or whatever, right. you know, and <laughs> right. which goes back to what I was saying earlier, you know, when you were asking about what you know, you're what saving, saving for, yeah. I'm, I'm saving up for a sabbatical where I can have yeah. weeks where I can have a lifestyle like that, you know? Absolutely. Okay. This one is how some authors are known for meticulously describing certain things like outfits or meals is there any aspect of writing that you have a lot of fun in that just, it, it flows? <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, there's what works for me in terms of writing it and mm-hmm. what flows. And then I don't necessarily know if that translates to the best part of my writing. Uh, you and other sure. readers can determine sure. that, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, from my perspective, though, I really like writing about the magic. I really like, mm-hmm. um, and I like the the I like writing about characters specifically. Um, I mean, I like I like writing all my characters. I really do. And um, but I especially like writing the quirky characters. Not my books. I wouldn't describe them as quirky books, but mm-hmm. I you know you need to have a little bit of levity. And I just like writing the you know unusual and funny and endearing characters you know they're they're fun to write and i think they're fun to read right um, i think those are always yeah. my favorites anyway <laughs> yeah like, you those know, are my favorite so, characters yeah you know and i uh, like you know pamela pamela's got a little bit of quirk she's a little dorky she's in all three books even in in the later books where she's, <laughs> she's relatable elderly. <laughs> she, she's very dorky she's got you know a little other readers have commented, you know, that there's Pamela isms and, and it's true. Like she just, she has a, she says funny things and she has a funny way, a, a funny dialect and she calls her brother a twerper and she, you know, she has funny <laughs> sayings and things like that. And just, and I intentionally make, have all, in all three books, even when she's old, wise or whatever, like mm-hmm. she's a little bit dorky. She's a little bit, um, you know, maybe a little, um, uh, to what's the word for it? she's um uh, she takes a lot of risks me or maybe mm-hmm. she uh, I'm blanking on the most basic word but you know, where she takes a lot of risks and uh you know it, it, not always the best choices mm-hmm. you know and so but yeah um and in terms of the magic um i really uh you know so magic in in fantasy novels there's a, a tendency to want to know is it a hard magic system or a soft magic mm-hmm. system there's a lot of magics People talk a lot about magic systems, which is going back to what we talked about earlier, um, something I think that has evolved out of Robert Jordan in a long way. Like Robert yeah. Jordan absolutely was maybe not the first, but certainly probably the biggest in terms of having a hard magic system where if you mix X, mag- if it, you know, five threads of fire mixed with three of yeah. water and two of spirit, you get this scientific effect every single time. The only mm-hmm. other variables are, are you, is it Sidene or Sidar and these kind of things. Right. 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 Um, and, and Brandon um, loved that. And oh, that, yeah. and, and that, and of course, and, you know, he took it, you know, to a next exponential level yes. with, with all of his magic systems. And so um, I love that too. And the, like the book I'm working on right now has a much, has a hard magic system, you know, where I'm really excited about that. I've got a whole glossary kind of describing, you do know, I things get, do I get forward. a little teaser about the magic system or is it not, yeah, not I can tell allowed? You a bit about it? No, there's nothing allowed. I mean, so I, I'm happy to <laughs> tell you a little bit about it. The story is still in development, right? And the magic yeah. is still in development, but in general, it's, um, it's an astronomy based magic system. So Ooh, the cool. basic idea is, is that people who can use the ability are able to reach out to celestial bodies like you know mm-hmm. stars, moons, uh, pr- primarily planets and moons, um, and they ingest, they draw in the light from that celestial body, and that Ooh. that light fills up their body. And so I'm simplifying here, but let's say you mm-hmm. you know you draw in from the moon. Maybe the moon has energies that you can use for magic for healing maybe if you draw from you know a planet like mars you can use that for war magic and 
Okay. This is an oversimplification, but yeah, each sure. celestial body has different traits that you use. And so a little in the bit system, like alchemy or something. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. And so in this system, you know, it's all about you ingest, you, you draw this light into your body. The more you rise it up through your, uh, through your body, the more powerful mm -hmm. the, um, the effect you can have and before you cast it on out. So, um, so yeah, so that's an example of a hard magic system and that's what I'm working on now. Very um, cool. That said, I, with with the mystic books, it's a much softer magic system, which mm -hmm. is going to be something that has less rules. It's a little mm -hmm. more vague. If you think of something like the Lord of the Rings, you know that's mm -hmm. uh, going to have a soft magic system. You know, um, Gandalf just does magic because he's Gandalf. You know, it's just right. there. It's just magic. It just happens. Mystic is not quite as soft and wishy uh, not wishy are soft and nebulous as mm -hmm. uh, um, Lord of the Rings, but it's still, it's, you know, like I described earlier, it's based on emotion. It's based on, you know, you know uh, the life experience. The more, you know, the more you know yourself, the more attuned you are to, um, to the world and to this magic. And it's found through meditation. It's found through um, things like that. Very cool. I like that. Okay. Are there any characters in your books that are inspired by people in your life? I think that um, none directly one-to-one -one for sure. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, I think, you know, we're all inspired by, you know, our friends and family and the people we love and care about. Uh, the people we don't like, the people that, you know, we, that we don't like and annoy us or yeah. whatever. <laughs> we you know we um both from our past and our present but we channel into um you know any creative writing right mm -hmm. i think the only one that i can kind of point to and and maybe say like yeah this is that specific person <laughs> is um the secondary uh character in the series sim who's like he's a point of view character other than pamela he's just you know he's the second biggest character of the series mm -hmm. um sim is uh, certainly yeah sim is probably me and yeah. the, kind of the closest <laughs> yeah it, it, probably the closest version and I, I didn't write him like me I, you know it wasn't intended absolutely was not intended um and i don't think feels like a version just of myself putting in there it, it's not about that what i mean by that is that like i i feel like sim especially in, in the first book when he's you know he's 17 years old or whatever um he kind of represents like the the ideals and the the kind of person that I was maybe at that age and you know um you know when life's a little bit simpler and you know uh, you just you're that you're that kid who you know like or I, I should say I was that kid who you know um I um was you know close with with my friends and I you know, strove to be trustworthy and you know, all these kind of things. And he was, maybe I would say he would be like the ideal of who I wanted to be when I was 17. So it wasn't until he saw this much bigger world and got out that thing has really changed and went in a, a way that no one kind of expected for him. And, and when I look back on it, his story arc through the books, um, I think it really shines. And I think that like, like I, I, when I set out every book, I always worried about like, what is, is Sims plot line going to be any good? Is it going to be good enough? And I, <laughs> I feel like in all three books that it's like my favorite, you know, or whatever, you yeah. know, and it just, it, it really shines. So, yeah. Okay. So the last question, I feel like through the whole conversation, I think people could probably look to the conversation itself and know the answer to this. And it was why people should read your book. But I think like after talking to you and learning more about your process as a writer and where you get your inspiration from and more little bits and pieces about the series, I think that for them, they can probably piece that out for themselves easily enough. But is there anything you would want to add to that? Um, yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, again, it's always coming back to when people are like, why should I read your books? I'm like, oh man, that's like the hardest question. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, right. Uh, you know, um, but you know, I think that people would enjoy the Mystic Trilogy if they're looking for, like I said, you know, a, a generational saga that spends decades, that explores this idea 
that uh, ideas that are inspired by real life Eastern mysticism um, mm-hmm. set in like a fantasy version of, of Ireland. Um, ultimately, you know, it's, it's about one person's life. Um, I think she's a special character who has an impact of both good and bad on her world. Her mm-hmm. actions have real consequences from the very start. And over the course she has to, of her life, she has to deal with those choices, right? And you know, yeah. especially in the third book, she's looking back on everything. She has regrets um, and she has to accept, you know, consequences of her actions. Um, and I think that's something that we all go through in life, you know? And um, my great hope is that this is a story that feels light and accessible to begin with, but ultimately becomes a tale that really sticks with you, you know, and, and resonates with people. So it sounds like yeah. something that people can even grow with as well. Like maybe if you're a younger reader, you're going to identify more with book one than book three, maybe, or for sure, certain yeah. characters, mm-hmm. plot points in certain books, perhaps. But I like that. Yeah, I certainly, I, I certainly grew a lot writing it. So I, I think that <laughs> that would be the case. So 